Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society can sometimes make us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline O'Donoghue and I'm the second cheapest body shop hamper. Joining me is three DVDs for £25 in the HMV sale, Lauren Bravo. <laughs> Hi. Today we're talking about the high street. The high street, that famous cultural text. It is a famous cultural well, it, text. It really is. And actually in thinking about this, I've realised... Yeah, it could be studied and it's, I mean, it has been studied, yeah. but it should be, it deserves to be. Because like, you know, obviously when we think of culture, we think movies, albums, TV mm-hmm. shows, but Brian Eno once said that culture is everything we don't need to do. <gasps> yes, I love and that. And the high street is part of that. We don't need to shop on the high street, <laughs> did we ever? It's an audiovisual medium as well. Yes. Yeah, it kind of ticks all the sensory boxes. It's got touch, it's got taste, it's got smell. <laughs> It's got it all. It's, it's got soundtrack. It's everything. It's got it all. And what I love about this as well is that, um, you know, we grew up in different countries. Mm. But if we close our eyes and think of the high street, we're both, you're thinking of Worthing High Street. I I'm am. thinking of Cork High Street. And even though we're from different places and different cultural backgrounds, they are the same high streets. Oh, completely the same. And yeah. I mean, the shop signs could almost be a bit of a blur because if there was one shop I didn't have, you would have had, you know, I would have had an equivalent yeah. and vice versa. But it was the feeling of going to the high street as a recreational activity. Is that yeah. what we're talking about? I That's think what we're is, talking about, it? yeah. And it's interesting because I know that on Sentimental Garbage you don't deal in guilt, of course. Yeah. But if I were to have a guilty pleasure, for me as a sustainable fashion writer, <laughs> this is obviously quite a guilty pleasure because I do feel very misty-eyed and nostalgic, but at the same time have quite complicated feelings about the high street because it's something that I am sort of actively... I mean, not campaigning for the death of. Nobody wants that. Mm. But, you know, I spend a lot of time writing about how we need to find, sort of forge a new future for retail. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I'm really misty-eyed for the, the body shop and for... Because it's, yeah. it's such a valid thing to be sentimental about because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has that same experience. They go back to their hometown, they walk down the shopping centre the shopping centre or the high street or whatever and they see all these shops that they used to spend hours like trying lipsticks on their hand or, or all that kind of stuff or trying on clothes and it's gone. It's like... Yeah. Well, that's... I mean, I think that's it, isn't teeth. it? Yeah, because in a lot of in a lot of towns, you know, in this country and other countries, nothing has come along to replace it. We are just staring yeah. down the ghosts of our youth and those formative experiences and it is very sad to see them just kind of empty. And we're in a weird place for retail as well because no one knows what's going to fill them. You know, those massive units, the Debenhams, the top shops, all of those. Like, there's no businesses apart from maybe Tesco that can come along and take those. So I think. And how many Tescos do you really need? Like, can you sustain? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, quite. Yeah, it's a problem in itself. And think what I predict is going to happen, and maybe our predictions should be left till the end of the podcast, Mm. but I'm too excited. Tell me now. (laughs) Um, I think it's going to become escape rooms. No, I think it's going to become escape rooms, indoor paintball. You're not wrong. All that stuff. I think it's the retail 
is slowly peeling out as being the reason that we go to cities. Mm-hmm. And what's slowly peeling in is hen nights, stag do's, corporate retreats. I mean, we could call it experiential. It's the experiential economy. Yeah. Which in a way is not a bad thing because everyone's always telling us that you're happier if you spend money on experiences and not things. Yeah. Um, but escape rooms are fucking awful. <laughs> I've never done one and no one's ever asked me to go on one because I think I have I put out a mood to my friends of like don't invite me to your board game night and don't invite me to an escape room (laughs) life is a puzzle I actually, I've written a character. Is, can I say this? Yeah, I can. Yes, you can. I've written a character in my um, in my new book. Who um, one of the things that he does is sources retro tat to kit out gastro pubs and escape rooms. <gasps> and that I've decided that's a market. Um, it's definitely a market. So he's sourcing kind of you know stuffed otters and things like that to kit out these kind of oldie worldy, oldie timey nostalgic experience a perfect job for now i mean depressing but perfect yeah yeah that's interesting because that's probably more realistic than my vision for the high street which is which is that we turn all those massive units into like gorgeous indoor market kind of things where you've got little units for small independent businesses and you've got places you can go and have clothing altered and repaired and you know so no one love that no brand is taking a gamble on those massive great buildings but we keep the buildings because in a lot of the places they are gorgeous yeah you know old department stores are some of the most beautiful architecture that we've got they really are. Mm. And like, yeah, because they are sort of from this Edwardian shopping period, right? Where it was the first time where, I mean, you probably know more about the history of this than I do, but like the first time that you weren't going to specific tailors in these specific exactly. neighbourhoods. It was like, we're all in the one place. That is a fairly new concept. I mean, I've just seen the show Mr. Selfridge. So of course. I, that's all I know about this. That's where my, my trivia ends. I'm sure it was pretty accurate. No, but you're right. And it was it was department stores were kind of the first, I guess, it was what we're talking about. It was shopping as a mm. recreational activity, but not necessarily just as a means to buy some stuff that you need. Mm. And they were places to go and be entertained. They were, I mean, so I did a little bit of research um, and learned that around like the turn of the century, department stores got wildly into their Christmas displays. And so the point where, um, I think it was Bentles in Kingston had an entire circus, including an elephant and a lion. Wow. And, yeah. (laughs) Magical. (laughs) Absolutely magical. (laughs) I kind of wish we'd been around then. Um, But I did have a point. Yeah, I mean, like, so apparently one of the very earliest uses for gas lighting was to light shop windows even before they were lighting street lamps so that people could gather the hordes could gather and marvel at you know what was on display and it was it was an activity it was an experience it wasn't necessarily just about amassing piles of crap um yeah yeah gaslighting of course not to be confused with (laughs) gaslighting which is when h&m labels something a size 14 um But I thought that was really romantic and it did remind me that, yeah, it's not just a modern phenomenon, this idea of like mass, you know, capitalism as an activity. It's something that brought people together and, you know, it was a place you could go and see things you hadn't seen before and experience stuff and the smells, the sights. And like, I think as well, this this really makes sense as a sentimental garbage topic because it also is about the act of shopping, Mm. really, which is this fundamental female thing. Like, we all know that sort of Getty Images idea of just a woman going around with all the the shopping bags (laughs) and, oh my God, what's she going to buy next? And And then you're going to plonk yourself down in a cafe with surrounded with your bags and you're going to laugh at nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> love wildly at nothing and maybe have a cheeky glass of wine and then get back out there for round two. <laughs> but we don't do that anymore. I think this is the other reason yeah. we're so nostalgic is because we shopped in that way as like teenagers. But as an adult, the idea of actually shopping for something with a friend... Oh, yeah. maybe it's a novelty. Maybe I'll do it twice a year, but it kind of brings me out in hives because I won't be able to get the thing I need, and and I'll be constantly worrying about wasting her time. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, do you do you, do you mind going upstairs? Sorry, and you're a bit you're a bit hot, you're a bit tired. Um, yeah, and also they will always tell you to buy the thing that you don't need to buy because that's hardwired into womanhood. Is that we always have to be telling each other <sighs> to buy things? Oh my god, get it! Treat oh my yourself. God, treat yourself. Oh, but I really, I have five like it. That just shows it's a classic. It's your signature item. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's so strange the most precious friend you can ever have in your arsenal is the person who tells you not to buy something yes it's true those women mm-hmm. but it's really hard to do even yeah. even like over WhatsApp it's really hard to do when people are sending you links to sort of silk negligees that, yeah and and the, the urge because you're so lazy is to be like oh yeah go for it you yeah. go girl I believe in you yeah, but it, like it, that girl who says you won't get wear out of it don't buy exactly. it on the WhatsApp group she's a hero she really is <laughs> not appreciated in her time so when you okay Mm. When you close your eyes and think of your high street, what are the shops? Okay. Debenhams. Yes. Definitely. So, Worthing, we didn't have a John Lewis. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one this in is for great. miles. So, uh, there's, there is no John Lewis in Ireland, so I'm, I'm glad that we both grew up in non-John Lewis. Non-John Lewis places. Yeah. yeah. So, John Lewis, to me, still feels... Um, you know, it's, yeah. bit, it's like kind of you, your posh friend's mum was the John Lewis to me. Yes. You know, so when I'm there now, I still feel like I'm not quite allowed to go and use the toilet. Or mm, it's, mm. it's a little bit And they do hide clean. them away on mm, purpose, don't they? Mm. Um, so yeah, definitely Debenhams though. Um, massive beauty hall, you mm. know, loading up on Tommy Hilfiger later on. Yeah. Chanel, Coco Mademoiselle, something like that, until it gave you a migraine. Um, Etam for Tammy. Did you have Tammy? Oh my God, I'd forgotten about Tammy. Yeah. The pinnacle of Tammy for me was when my best friend and I decided to buy ourselves matching um, gold glitter denim biker jackets. Yeah. And I think we wore them twice. Um, Yeah. Tammy, BHS. Yeah. Body shop. Body shop. Body. I mean, we've got a lot to say about body shop. I have so much to say. Mm. Should we come back to it? Let's come back to it. Okay. (laughs) Put a pin in body shop. Put a pin in body shop, sure. It's oozing. Um, (laughs) What else? Top shop, but then not in the early years. You know, like there was, it was a real rite of passage to kind of graduate into top shop and save up for top shop. Save as well. up for top shop. I, I I could never figure out whether it was a um, exchange rate thing, but when so we had a top shop in our department store in Cork. Mm-hmm. It was like you know concession, like five racks kind of thing. Yeah, and I think, but it never felt like real top shop. And the things that you would see in Ms. Magazine inevitably weren't there in the Cork branch or whatever, and it was always a bit disappointing. And then we got a real top shop when I was about 20 and it was a fucking event. Did you go to the opening? Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Did you queue? And the idea that like, this thing of like, the idea that like Kate Moss had designed dresses that I could wear. <laughs> oh, truly the democratisation. Where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? Um, but I, I could never figure out whether top shop was as expensive in England because I think maybe it was the... Oh, it was pricey. Imp- where where did this idea come from that Topshop was this like teen every place? I think it came from London. Yeah. Where people were rich. <laughs> but no, it was the same. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't my mum wasn't buying me clothes from Topshop. Yeah. I had one vest from one Top thing. Shop. Bought in the sale. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a vest top. Um Yeah. Yeah. So and, and do you know what? It was more in my 
in my memory, when I really think back, it was more about the slightly shittier, smaller shops as well. So like you mm-hmm. select your Mark One. And then weird places like the works. Did you have the works in Ireland? We had versions of it, yes. But right. That the thing of just like surplus art materials and yes. weird books. Yeah. Weird books that didn't sell the first time round in the normal bookshops. Yeah. yeah, art supplies, strange bits of tat that you'd buy your friends for presents. And like uh, yeah, arts and crafts kit, kits that just didn't fundamentally work. Yeah. Like yeah. just like oh, dried up glitter glue. Bracelet kit and then they all, the bees just fall off into the yeah. floor. <laughs> That's important. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, Waterstones, of course. We didn't get a Waterstones until I'd left. Oh my God. No. We had a place called Methven's, which would have been the sort of yeah, yeah off-brand equivalent. Um, yeah, lovely. I don't think I was a bookish enough kid to spend time in bookshops, though. Really? I used no. to go to Waterstones I, uh, to break up with people. <gasps> <laughs> oh, I feel like that's very Zoe Dachanel. <laughs> you know? That... <laughs> I was like... I like I really um, hit sexuality like a ton of bricks when I was about fourteen, mm. and I was chop and change boyfriends every like four months or Good whatever. Good for you. Good for me, putting it about. Yeah, and um, I would just you would be you know absolutely terribly in love, and then I would just completely switch one day, and it was really cruel. But I would just bring them to Waterstones. Did you do it through the medium of books? Did you like lead them over to like Dostoevsky or something? <laughs> what I would do here was the process. I would, um, you know, you obviously go your separate ways in the bookshop to look at different things, and sure. obviously. Every boy I went out with was ridiculously bookish. Um, and then I would wait until they were absorbed in reading some Terry Pratchett Discworld thing and go up to them and be like, I think we should break up. Because <laughs> it was my version of I'd seen on TV this whole thing of like, take someone to a place where they can't make a scene. Yeah. Did they think you were doing a bit though? No, because yeah, I would have been distant all that day. Uh, <laughs> right, you did your groundwork. Such a little bitch. Right, so as somebody who didn't have a boyfriend until I was 19, I'm just, I'm very jealous of this. Having a boy, like, obviously there's, you know, the retail experience as a teenager, the high street experience. Um, part of it is going around with your friends, yeah. which is like going to Miss Elfridge, Topshop, mm-hmm, Morgan, mm-hmm. Tammy, Jane Norman. Did you have that? Jane Norman, yeah. Not in Worthing, but if you went to Brighton, you yes. could, that was your chance to get your, you know, your PE bag for the next two years. <laughs> The Jane Norman bag. The Jane Norman carrier bag. Absolute rite of passage. And I think there was probably... I'm so glad that happened in your school too. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Why? Why? (laughs) I think there was a sort of black market economy where people who couldn't afford or weren't allowed to shop at Jane Norman would just buy the... Because buy the bags under the it counter. It wasn't a or... fancy shop, though. No, no. It really specialised in kind of um, very flammable crop tops. Yes. With like a pink plastic ring in the middle. Yeah. That sort of thing. Or... Heavily sort of fringed waterfall cardigans, yes, and with a corset. That's or, my... or a snug, a, car, a snug cardigan uh, uh, to go over your going out dress. Do you mean a shrug? Or a shrug, is, is a snug shrug. What you called it in Ireland? I don't want to. No, it's definitely a shrug. Okay, I yes. was so uh, like me in a tiny uh, house party. Um, uh, house party outfit was tiny dress. Yeah, wool shrug. Uh huh. Very weird fusion of middle aged lady who works in a library. Yeah. And good time gal at the Moulin Rouge. That was the very specific intersection of the sort of 2002 party wear market. Nobody knows. There's so many of these things that all I can ask is why. Nobody knows. Yeah. But then, okay, so that was the um, girlfriends, super fun, going around, swatches of lipstick on your wrist, casual shoplifting to show each other how much we loved each other. Of course. Um, Then there was the um, the, the, the high street boyfriend experience, which was um, hours in HMV. Of course. Reading the back of 
things <laughs> to each other and yeah. looking at the melancholy death of Oyster Boy by Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, I mean, while across the shop, I was doing that alone. <laughs> Just making I, furious eyes at whatever man was, you know, looking at the jam or something that I'd learned. <laughs> I'd learned was a sexy man band. Learning the sexy man band. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was definitely... So in the run up to Christmas, my town, I don't know if this was a normal thing everywhere, would do like late night shopping nights. Which yeah, was always, yeah. Yeah, Thursday night. And that was a proper event. And it was kind of the next thing in the calendar after bonfire night, which fulfilled a very similar function, mm-hmm. which was to look adorable in a bobble hat. Yes. Um, maybe treat yourself to something really Dickensian, like a bag of roasted chestnuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then stand in a pack at the bandstand next to packs of boys doing the same thing. Uh, you know, stare furiously at them. Maybe send oh. a bold friend over to say something. Go to Superdrug, buy each other kind of bath salts and nail varnishes and little plastic baubles and then go home and do it all again the next Thursday. This brings us very beautifully on to the subject of Christmas gifts, Mm. which was a big part of our discussion when we were planning this episode. Yeah. This idea of like, obviously, we're talking about this sort of high street culture nostalgically because the the unsaid thing, what we haven't actually brought up yet, is that the internet has taken over and and now we have this absurd level of choice and we can get gifts for anywhere in the world mm-hmm. for anyone we want and the thing that has grown around this is not just the idea of the gift but the perfect gift the perfect gift because now before when you had seven chops to choose from mm. seven shops I, think I said chops <laughs> I don't know what seven shops to choose from there was like you get someone a body shop hamper, you get someone right. something from Lush or or whatever. There were designated gifts. It was like you walked into Boots and there was an aisle said gifts, gifts, and this was what Boots had decided you were giving your auntie, your sister, your mum, yeah, that year. And you went, okay, sure. And there were four personality types within those little gift hampers and Boots. Mm-hmm. There was like Soap and Glory if you're like a retro gal, <laughs> which we both were. Come which on. we both were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there'd be something a bit more grown up and hairy, like Nikki Clark. Or Tony and Guy yep. hair set or something. And like the sanctuary. <gasps> yeah. I haven't heard her name in a long time. Oh, I think I bought my mum the sanctuary solidly for about three consecutive years. That yeah. was just the sort of uh, body lotion cleanser sort of thing that was it looked a bit like it was sort of um, in a hotel in a, Well, that was it. It was spa. like if you, yeah, if you yeah. wanted to buy them a spa day, but you were never going to buy them a spa day, that was the closest thing. Are you thing. a millionaire? No. Yeah, it was toiletries for people who take home the white toweling slippers. Yes. I think. That's exactly who it was for. Uh-huh. And that was just like, here are the four personalities of women and one shaving set for men and he, go wild and yeah. you'll be you'll really be done, if we think about it, your Christmas shopping in an hour. Oh, totally. And now... Oh, don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I feel this more keenly than the average person. I think it goes hand in hand with being a people pleaser, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but I spend so much time and energy on trying to find people the right presents. But I don't think I end up with better presents because of it. That's mm, I just think an I inconvenient s- truth. I spend three times as much on, you know, probably more tap that they're still not going to use. And I think the pressure of those websites, like not on the high street and Etsy, yeah. to oh, buy something. Hell, Etsy, man. <laughs> I mean, Etsy is currently, I watched an advert this morning, and their, their slogan, I think, is give more than a gift, which is an admirable sentiment. Of course yeah. it is. But a voice in my head went, can't I just give a gift? Isn't that enough? 
And it's the idea that you have to be a mind reader. You have to know exactly what that person... You have to remember every conversation you've had with that person for the last year and what they may have, you know, stroked in a shop or expressed a passing interest in. You've got to dredge up that knowledge. And, of course, as soon as you sit down to try and buy a present for somebody, you immediately forget everything you've ever known about them. Yes, of course. Everything. Um, Unless you're like my husband who... Is works in trains and is quite into trains and therefore will receive train-themed presents every year until he dies. Does he like them? I mean, he does. But how many train things can you have in your home? Yeah, you know, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, and it's the thing of like, there's no excuse not to get somebody a perfect gift tailored to their exact personality. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you have to. Yeah. And now the idea of receiving like a little soap set off somebody is mad. Like Right. Or like a box of Ferrero Rocher or something. Like last Christmas yeah. I spent quite a stupid amount of money really buying everybody um these Florentines. I think it was about six Florentines you got, but yeah. they were in a lovely <gasps> tin. Just that is in a, perfect. But in a really elegant tin and it had lovely gold lettering on it and it was kind of tin that you would maybe tell yourself you were going to use afterwards. You won't, but yeah. you, you you put it in a cupboard for six months. Um but they were a stupid amount of money for Florentines. And I think you'd get more bang for your buck with a nice box of Ferrero Rocher. But you can't yeah. give somebody that as a present anymore unless it's ironic. I have this, like, a really lovely experience a few years ago that, like, I um, was spending Christmas with Gav's side of the family. And mm. it was when his um, nan was still alive. And uh, it was like, you know... We all went quite heavy on gifts that year and yeah. we were all really showing off for each other. I think it was the first time where I, I was spending like the whole festive period with his family. And so they spent a lot to make me feel included. I spent a lot to make myself feel like I belong there, yeah. you know, all that. And then we went round to his nan's house, you know, poor deceased May, May Day, her name was. First Aww. name May, last name Day. <laughs> May Day! <laughs> and she gave everybody the same little wrapped thing. And then we all opened it, and it was just a big bar of chocolate. That's <laughs> what you want. What you want. That's, I mean, that's that's the Nessa and Gavin and Stacey it moment, is. isn't it? It really is. And it yeah. was just like, and I ate it that night in bed, sitting up, and that, and like I had the lovely feeling of feeling close to his grandma, right? And like it, it didn't matter, and she didn't make any apologies for it, and she and was just like, here's everyone's present. It's not going to clutter up your house afterwards. Yeah. You're not going to feel really guilty when you inevitably have to get rid of it in three months, or yeah. No, this is the thing. I remember one Christmas, very vividly, it must have been maybe like year nine at school, we would have been mm-hmm. about 13, something like that. And my friends and I all decided what we were going to do is all put two pounds in a jam jar. And then we took that money. And I mean, the grown up thing to do would be spend it on a meal, have a fun experience. Yeah. No, what we did was we took that money, we went to Superdrug, and they were doing at the time these glass kind of um, conical jars with like a little yeah. cork stopper in the top oh. and they were filled with either glittery bubble bath or bath salts and they yeah. came in all colours of the rainbow and we all just got two of those depending on what colour our bedrooms were that's so sweet with our bedrooms. The, the ultimate knowledge of another person is yeah. to know what colour the bedroom is, this is it. So my friend Sarah had a lilac and lime green bedroom because of course she did it was and the so time she had, <laughs> she had one Cone of one glass cone of lilac bath salts and one of lime green. She didn't use them. They were, uh, you know, an objet d'art. Um, <laughs> and we just all had those, and it was lovely. I just remember being really delighted with my. And they were one pound each, and that was how we did Christmas that year. We are edging dangerously close to being like it's just the thought that counts. <laughs> No, I think what we're saying is actually it's not the thought that counts. It doesn't matter if there's very little thought. <laughs> 
it's, it's so true. It is the opposite, actually, of the thought that counts. It's the opposite. Shall we talk about Body Shop? Yes. So my personal belief is that the biggest business mistake that Body Shop have ever made, mm. and we know they've made a few because they have had a slightly checkered history, but they're still going, so I'm not mm. going to cast aspersions. I don't know how their books are looking at the moment. Um, the biggest mistake they ever made was stopping doing kids' toiletries. Do they do kids' toiletries? I mean, maybe they've started again. I don't know. But there was definitely a long time where they decided they were actually going to try, and this was probably when they were owned by L'Oreal. Yeah. Um, they decided they were going to try and be a kind of, you know, swishy lady makeup brand and, yes. and they kind of went a bit more minimal <gasps> you're right but the kids range at body shop was just one of the wonders of the world because there was no equivalent to it no other shop did it do you mean like the kind of like really sticky flavored lip balms and that kind of stuff so what i mean is and maybe this is where our kind of small age gap is going to show itself up because maybe they stopped doing them when you were when you were really young plasticine soap did you ever have the plasticine no soap? i don't know oh, what that is my god caroline right so it was it was soap that was moldable, so it was like Play-Doh <gasps> texture. Fun, but it was soap, so you would make it into a little model of a snowman or a polar bear or whatever, and you'd play with it, and then you would just kind of break a little lump off and use it as soap. Oh, it, oh my this. god, it was amazing! So I remember my aunt and uncle got me one year, and I would have been maybe seven, something like that. And it was a hamper, and it had you know the fake shredded paper in it. It made me feel very fancy, and it was plasticine soap. It was one of the expanding flannels. Oh, I remember. It's a tiny little cube and then... (laughs) For the listener. (laughs) When it hits water, it expands. There we go. We're doing the hand motions. Uh, It hits water, it expands. It's magical. You've never seen anything like it. You are more likely to wash your face with that flannel. Um, And bath pearls. Oh, bath pearls. Amazing. And And I felt so grown up and so seen. And really, they're just giving you the means to wash behind your ears as a child. You know, it's not yeah. its not oh. a toy, is it? It wasn't a Mr. Frosty. But I, yeah, I really think if they brought back the plasticine soap, Body Shot would be, would be quids in. And it's like, it's that perfect sort of gift category as well. It's, it's the tween market. <laughs> that thing of like, too old for toys, too young for like... That's exactly it. You know, mascara, really, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I think of like little sets of lip glasses and like eyeshadowy glittery pots. It's like, that is the high street to me. That is it. The little, yeah, and they had to, you know, put it in a little Christmas bauble in a clear, a plastic perspex yes. thing with a ribbon on it. Or did you ever, moving on to boots, did you ever do the, um, you know, if you bought two items from number seven, you would get like a 50, uh, worth 15 pounds or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Box of absolute shite, which was always, mm. and it was always the colours that they couldn't sell. So it would always be like the brown lip liner, the, you know, the kind of, yeah, taupe eyeshadow that nobody wanted. Yes. But Number you- seven, the hardest working gal in showbiz. <laughs> Have you ever gone into a Boots and not gotten a voucher for number seven? Oh my God. Yeah, but have you ever used one? No. No. Because it's always like, it's always only for like five specific things. Exactly. And you've yeah. just done your Boots shop for the next couple of months. So you're yeah. not going to go back again and you don't need them from number seven anyway. It's and- incredible to me they haven't phased out number seven. Because mm. clearly they've tried so many things to try and make that lady work and nobody's buying it. Keely Hawes. She gave it her best shot. They did know they had a success with the serum. Do you remember the, the yes. furore around the Protect and Perfect serum where there was like one study once that said it was actually better than... Creme de la Mer or something. Yeah, yeah. Botox. And, um, <laughs> and all the mums got very excited. Very, And I also remember a very exciting period around their heated face mask. Ooh. You know those face masks, they're kind of a clay and they would just like burn oh, on your skin. Yes. And that's how you know it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you burning. sit there gritting your teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, but I think they're still riding the waves from that. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com By the way, the reason that we're doing this podcast is because somebody on Instagram contacted me and said, I think her name was Snorkel Jacket. Oh, Snorkel Jacket. Love her. I just love when people commit to real internet-y names still. I think it's really admirable. I think it's kind of gone full circle, hasn't it? Where the time they would have changed it has now passed and you really... She's just in Snorkel Jacket. It's cooler. Um, And she she requested it to be on M&S. Um, because that is such a sentimental feeling for her. And I was like, that is, this is, this is bigger than even you think it is, Snorkel Jacket. This is the whole high street. But I think we really do need to park ourselves in M&S. I've gone very cosy inside, even you just saying those words. <laughs> I think when M&S, if M&S went into administration, I do think it would be worse than when the Queen dies. You're right. Yeah. You're correct. It means so much to so many people. I, I'm, and I, and, you know... Again, Why? considering I spend a lot of my career kind of really, yeah, sort of damning half the high street to hell mm. these days, M&S I'm fiercely defensive of and I really want to see M&S succeed. I think they are trying very hard with their sustainability. Um, but at the same time, it's such a delicate balancing act because they can't lose what makes them M&S. They've got to keep that kind of cosy, fuzzy, in town with your mum having a baked potato feeling yeah. that we all love. Um why is it that it means so much to people, do you think? More than any other shop, it has more emotional capital, I think. It really does. They're very solid and sturdy. So M&S yeah. is known for being really good quality. And it's the reason that St. Michael is one of the most coveted labels in the second-hand market and in charity shops. People go nuts. Is that nuts. so? Yeah, people go nuts for St. Michael. Because it's kind of a poor woman's Laura Ashley. Like yes. last summer when everybody was snapping up the old Laura Ashley mm-hmm. on eBay, etc., the smart kids like moved on to St. Michael because there's loads of it out there. It's got the same aesthetic. It's really well made. Um, but it's Blow cheaper. my mind. Yep. It's so my, uh, I mean, Marks and Spencer's, it's kind of, it's the accessible end of the middle class retail experience, mm. I think. And as somebody who yes. grew up very much lower middle class, yeah, which is a little, you know, it's a really specific pocket that you kind of sit in but don't ever name. M&S was just about... You know, it's just a bit aspirational. Like, I never bought my shoes, uh, my school shoes in M&S. Yeah. But we would go for, you know, the odd bit. We'd go for the sales. When you'd, like, when your mum would do the big shop in M&S, it was such a moment. Yeah. When you're, like, doing the big shop in it. Like, because, you know, people were coming over or there was some, some thing happening, some dinner worth preparing right, for. Right, yeah. Because generally you go to Tesco or, or whatever. Absolutely. 
and then to do the big shop there and to be like chucking Percy Pigs into the trolley. Yeah. Excuse me? Everything did just taste that bit different. And yeah. I mean, think about, you know, like Bridget Jones with M&S smoked salmon pinwheels. You know, there was so much that was aspirational in the late 90s Yeah, that Marks and Spencers managed to get in on and nobody really knows how because it wasn't chic, but it's somehow... They basically invented the ramekin. Yeah, with, <laughs> before goo. Fucking goo puds, man. <laughs> how, name... <laughs> Like, like, how is it that a um, own brand dessert line for a supermarket means so much? <laughs> like, how do we all have those ramekins in our house forever? Yeah. We all know what we mean when we say goopods. It has such brand identity mm. for something that is like a thing within a thing within a thing, you know? I even saw somebody the other day is selling silicone lids specifically to put on those ramekins so that you can then use them for <gasps> other purposes around the house. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? Because the sizes have never changed. No. Wow. Yeah. Um, I also think there is a thing that like, I think nine out of ten women got their first bra fitting in M&S. hundred percent I did. Yeah. I still buy most of my pants in M&S and they have very recently, and if anybody, if any bosses from M&S are listening to this, <clears throat> I'm going to get up on my soapbox. They very recently discontinued my favourite knickers. I'm so sorry. I'm bereft. This is a curse I've inherited from my mother. So everything my mother has ever loved gets discontinued. Mm. Apart from us. Um, <laughs> ever since Dewberry, back at the body shop, ever since Dewberry got discontinued, um, it's, it's a curse that's yeah, befallen her. And now it's on me. And th- these are my favourite pants in the world. Nothing else fits like them. I love them. I wish I'd bought 20 pairs when I had the chance. They don't make them anymore. That's very sad. It is. But no, M&S for underwear, I think, kind of still can't be beaten. And I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I would love it if they were more sustainable and more ethical. And I think they are. I think they're, they're working hard at it, but I don't think they're working quite hard enough, etc. Mm-hmm. That's my disclaimer. But generally, if you're on the high street and you're saying, where can I buy my pants? I'm still going to send you to M&S. Uh, I was talking to Ella recently and Ella's somebody who moved around a lot when she was a kid and she said, you know, when she pictures the word childhood home, she doesn't really quite know where to picture. And I said, well, what supermarket do you imagine? And I think that is the definition of home. Like where yeah. where where you really grew up is the place when you when you think supermarket or M and S. Yes. Which one? And that's your hometown. That's your home. Where yeah. were you on a Saturday morning? Yes. Traipsing around behind your mother. Where were you kind of excited to sit down and have like a cup of tea and a tea cake? Or and that's it. And I, I so in my M and S, the underwear section was next to the cafe. Yeah. And so I and I don't really know. If I'm inventing this memory, but I know it's real, if you know what I mean. Of course it was, because you could smell soup while you were looking at your bra. (laughs) Exactly. But this kind of image of myself, like, buying knickers with my mum and then, like, after a long after-school shopping trip, Thursday night shopping, and going to the M&S cafe and and having a a, a little bit of soup and a sandwich or something. soup and a sandwich. Oh, I mean, I I wrote uh, an article earlier in the year or maybe it was last year time is treacle who knows but it was all about the places the really mundane places that we missed during lockdown Mm. because I found increasingly I wasn't fantasizing about far-flung destinations I wasn't dreaming about lying on a sandy golden beach I was thinking about the Marks and Spencer's toilets (laughs) the stairwell at uh, Debenhams on Mm -hmm. Oxford Street and places like that. And I did a little bit of kind of crowdsourcing on Twitter and I got other people to share them with me. And Marks and Spencers came up time and time again. Yeah. And it was that mundanity, but that comforting mundanity, that feeling that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you if you're there. It's a place to be when you've got nowhere to be. 
It's somewhere that's always going to be warm. It's always going to be brightly lit. So warm. No one's going to bother you. No one's going to... Because I think that's also crucial with what we're talking about with the high street experience. They are not shops that you walk into and anybody leaps out and says, can I help you? You're right there. Do you need me to explain the concept? (sighs) That's it. People actually hate boutiques. People hate it. (laughs) They, like... No one likes it. No one likes it. I went into a... Very fancy um, kind of soap and beauty store the other day. Um, it's, you know, the ones that have hand cream outside that mm-hmm. we all use when passing by. I walked in. They first asked me if I would like to wash my hands, which obviously you're not going to say no, are you, in this in this climate? And then they said, would you like me to explain the shop? And the temptation to say there's stuff on shelves and I can buy it or not buy it. It's not my first rodeo. So strong. Whereas that's just occurred to me now that, you know, the high street, as we're kind of misty-eyed yeah. about it, was a place that you were just allowed to be. Be left alone. You could just be left alone. You could browse for two hours. You could pop in to just use the oh. toilets. No one's going to kick you out. And did you ever work in retail? Um. So, no. So my Saturday job was in a library, so a bit different, but very similar levels of cosiness. And then I worked in retail, but I worked in Camden Market on a vintage oh, stool. So very, very different. Cool. Yeah. Rockabilly Bride. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not a rockabilly bride. You are a very Take chic bride. Back. Um, did you work in retail? I did. I worked in HMV for three years, um, oh. between 18 and 21, while I was college. And um, yeah, it was um, the longest I've ever been employed by anybody. Were you being endlessly hit on by men? It was fabulous. I'm sure it was. Because <laughs> the thing is, like, um, I think there at the time there were maybe three HMVs in Ireland one in Belfast one in Dublin one in Cork so and a destination it's a, yeah it was a real destination it was it was two floors you know and and that's a, everywhere else you you could buy CDs would be like a tiny little golden disc is golden disc the thing here I don't think so we had our price which is probably similar probably similar yeah, yeah. but it was the only sort of like big place where you could buy CDs and DVDs and yeah it did feel really important and really special and I felt important and special when I worked there. And it was also this thing of like, um, because, I don't know, like radio stations would pop in with tickets and just give them to the staff. Like it was almost like you were seen as like a tastemaker because you worked in HMV. <laughs> it was so, I don't know if I'm imagining that, but like part of me thinks I must be adding that nostalgically, but also they did come in with those tickets. So I therefore, <laughs> I think what you're telling me is you were Renee Zellweger in Empire Records. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Actually, she was the ins- yeah. You were the inspiration <laughs> somehow. But I, I um, uh, the reason I brought it up was while I was working there, the um, and it was like also it was during the recession, and I don't know how the recession hit Worthing badly. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm never quite sure how how badly it because obviously I went from Cork to London where recessions have never existed. Um, but it, it it became while I was working there this this really sudden change of like just being the girl who like scans the CDs and DVDs and like recommends the odd thing and feels really cool about it and like you know you have to wear the HMV t-shirt but you can accessorize and people they actually they want you to accessorize they want you to have weird hair yeah they want you to feel like a tastemaker and then while I was there this change came in where okay suddenly all, all, like not only was the recession happening but there was also um sort of download culture and free streaming culture was really at its height it was really unregulated so sales of all that stuff went really down and suddenly we had to sell iPhone speakers and we became like a car phone warehouse almost oh you had to sully your brand we really did and it was like all about selling consoles and selling speakers and I didn't know anything about those things you didn't sign up for that you're a tastemaker I'm a tastemaker <laughs> 
and um, oh, we, we weren't. We, then uh, suddenly all these uniform regulations came in, and we mm. couldn't. You know, we had to cover up visible tattoos and all that kind of stuff. Really sad. That's stuff. miserable. And also, crucially, we had to bother people. It went from like you, like you know, that sort of record shop mentality of you have to earn the right to speak to the staff. Yes. Suddenly, it was the staff yeah. had to beg you to speak to them. You'd better not put a the on the name of a band that doesn't have a the. <laughs> Cast you out into the street. Yeah, that is that's miserable. And I love that the internet was like an oppressive force. You know, the like yeah. the, the new world of digital was like the man. But it's in well, that it's, scenario. It's, yeah, it, it's one of the the many ways in which the internet killed the high street. Right? So you went from being the little shop around the corner to being Fox Perks. We did. <laughs> we, I was there in transition. <laughs> but the thing of like um. It's weird because if you think about it, it's almost like a Greek tragedy or something because the high street almost sowed the seeds of its own failure, of its own thing. Because it's like, it, it, you know, it tried to get you to buy as much as possible and it's, it like created that culture mm. for people to want more and more and to shop more and more. And then they took that behaviour, the high street sown into them and then took it online. So we got used to spending in that prolific way and then took that habit online and then they're left with nothing whereas actually they would have been better off keeping things slow keeping the production a little bit slower yeah. and actually sticking with you know the high street where you could just kill a couple of hours maybe buy one thing yeah yeah. as opposed to it being this kind of quite oppressive place of people like teenagers walking up to you all the time asking if they can constantly help you. badgering yeah. you yeah and the sort of the culture of like the 5am sales as well yeah oh the next which, sale the next sale which is will continue to baffle me until the day I die it baffles us all I think who was who was queuing at five in the morning to buy those clothes but people were people loved and it was it. a story it was a every year it was one of the reliable stories mm-hmm. in the media every year but why we'll never know And but like you uh, when we were talking about this earlier on you suggested that like things on the sustainability side of things yeah. things used to be a bit better yeah. and the internet this kind of arms race of who can create the most stuff and push it out there fastest you you go on you know more about this than I do I don't know why I'm trying to explain your job back to you <laughs> yeah so the thing is it's actually quite a recent phenomenon it's only really the last 20-25 years that we've had globalisation um, kind of creating the, the race which we kind of call chasing the cheapest needle around the world mm. so basically offshoring production of clothes and you know other goods um, to countries where labour is really really cheap and then you know when they introduce tighter labour laws moving on to the next country that's a relatively modern thing so until like the early 90s the vast majority of clothes that were sold in the UK were made in the UK. Mm. Um, and until when, were, sorry? Until like the early 90s. Oh my God. Yeah, so when we talk about fast fashion, it's, it's a really recent thing, which is why it actually shouldn't be that difficult to kind of go back to how things did used to be a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so, you know, my mum always kind of remembers that in her day, if you wanted to buy... Well, actually, so I have, I have an example in my book, um, which I always think really shows it. So... My mum in the 70s had a Saturday job in a jewellery shop mm-hmm. and she would earn £5 for a Saturday, which was a pretty decent wage for a teenage girl at the time. And she remembers if she wanted to buy your standard high street dress mm-hmm. from Chelsea Girl or somewhere like that, it would cost about 16 Like that was mm-hmm. a bit arbitrary, but that was kind of the price it tended to be. So she would save up for nearly a month to go and buy one dress. When mm-hmm. I was a teenager doing my Saturday job 30 years later, I would earn £50 for a Saturday. I could still go and buy a dress for 16.99. Wow. And I always think that's really stark. So that just shows you that while everything else, the cost of living was rising, the cost of property was rising, the cost of food has gone up, clothing has plummeted. And so, of course, you then create that culture where we're not content to 
you know, pop to the shops, try on a dress, think about it for a week or two, look yeah. at it, take our friend to look at it. Do I need it? Do I want it? Do I love it? Will I wear it? Will I wear it? Will I wear it six times? What will I wear it with? You know, and yes. trust that it will still be there in a few weeks if you finally decide to yes. take the plunge. Yes, things that you'd watch for weeks. I'd forgotten that attitude or exactly. that behavior. And hoping it might go into the sale. Whereas we don't do that anymore because things don't hang around long enough. You know, that's yeah. fast fashion is built on a model where um, you know, ASOS uses the slogan, get it or regret it. it, it the whole point yeah. is creating so much hype and so much urgency that you buy it there and then because you regret it if you don't. Oh, my God. And sorry, I know this is a bit of a busman's holiday for you, but it is a the fast fashion thing is fascinating oh, like, yeah. because it bleeds into everything. And also it's a woman's problem. It is a woman's problem. It's a feminist issue. Yeah. I mean, 80% of global garment workers are young women aged 18 to 34. Yeah. Only 2% of them earn a living wage. And predominantly, fashion is still marketed at women, sold to women, and women are the ones made to feel bad yeah. when we give in to those, that pressure and we buy it. But also, like... I don't know, I, this is probably a bit off topic, but I always get frustrated with these arguments of being like, well, we're the ones being pressured to buy it, so you can't you can't give out to us when we do, kind mm, of thing. Yeah. I'm just a bit like, no, we have the power to yeah. change this culture. And I'm so glad that people like you are doing it. Thanks, Caroline. <laughs> because, yeah, men, men don't shop like this. Men are, all, for the most part, men are already shopping sustainably. Oh, my God. My boyfriend is the most sustainable person <laughs> without even trying. Yeah. He has one pair of jeans that he wears until they have holes in the crotch. And then he gets another pair of jeans. It wouldn't even occur to him to feel embarrassed to show up at a party wearing the same thing that he wore at the last party. You know, Mad. he wears the same suit to work every day, to every wedding we go to. But that shows up in the clothes, though, because like yeah. even I, I remember vividly being in the big top shop when it finally came to Cork and like the material feeling thinner in top shop and thicker in top man. Right. Yes. Because yes. Men buy clothes less, and so therefore it has to last them longer. And if it falls apart in the wash, I guess the idea is that a man will march it back to the shop and say, why have you sold me this crap? Whereas a woman will go, oh, it's my fault for wanting the fashion. (laughs) And it is. (laughs) I should have bought a length of fabric and had Madam Whatever make me a good sturdy pinafore. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love this topic so much. How much time do we have left so we can talk about it forever? Not that much time. Okay. okay. What do we want to hit that we haven't hit? Um, so I was going to say, I, so one of my long-lived fantasies was always about spending the night in a department store. And oh, department yes. stores, and particularly if we're talking about Christmas, department stores in the Christmas canon are such a feature. So obviously you've got them in all of the main American Christmas movies. You've got Elf, you've got Home Alone, you've mm-hmm. got Miracle on Day 4th Street, etc. Um, there was, in, I mean, British stuff as well. So Father Ted, obviously. Oh. That that lingerie Christmas special. The largest ladies' lingerie department in Ireland. Um, Mr. Bean went to Alders in... Yes. I, actually, it was, I think it was uh, the big one in Clapham Junction. I think it was that department store. Um, so that very, even that very dingy vision of like a 90s department store, there's yeah. still something about it that makes me feel very cosy inside. There was this made-for-TV movie I was obsessed with called The Greatest Story in the World, which came out in 1999. It had Dervla Cohen in the, uh, the lead role. And it was about a mother and her two daughters who I think they're made 
homeless just before Christmas. But not in a very bleak way. You know, in that kind of, they're probably going to be all right. In a fun way. Like maybe they have like a a Winnebago they have to sleep in or something. But anyway, they end up in this department store locked in for the night. And then, I mean, I just loved it. I thought that was the most romantic idea. They sleep in the beds. You know, they're trying on all the clothes and the makeup. They're having a party. There's a Natalie Portman movie that follows the exact same plot. Oh, probably. Called Where the Heart Is. And she lives in, she's pregnant and she lives in a Walmart. Oh my God. (laughs) Anyway, so fast forward like 15 years, there were really, really bad snows a few years ago, somewhere in the country. A load of people got stuck on the motorway. The snow was so bad, they had to abandon their cars Mm -hmm. and walk to an out-of-town John (gasps) Lewis and they got to spend the night in the John Lewis. And my mother rang me up specifically to say, oh my God, have you heard about the people getting to spend the night in John Lewis? Because I still think if I could pay for that experience... I would. And that's yeah. going back to what we were saying about the experimental market. That's it. That's the thing. I think like a supermarket sweep for a Hindu thing. Yes. Like, you know, they've done the crystal maze. They need to do the same thing with supermarket sweep. 100%. Like a proper old 80s supermarket they're about to bulldoze and just make it into an experimental <laughs> experience. Wearing the matching colourful sweatshirts. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Oh my. Okay, so to finish up, I would like us to go through... Because what I'm obsessed with is the idea of um, these clothes shops that were like, if we think about it, there's only about a dozen of them, but they all have specific women that you try to be when you go in there. Oh, yeah. And I want us to talk about who that woman was. Let's do it. Warehouse. Warehouse was a little bit kind of, it was a bit glam, it was a bit edgy. I felt like, like I could get into the Bergheim with it, yeah. you know what I mean? I felt like, like yeah. I, I felt like very Berlin when I got something in Warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> But like, why? I'm not sure. No, I think it was because they I, maybe they had a higher percentage of black clothing, Blacks, black greys, and, and navies. Yeah, charcoal. I feel yeah. like warehouse kind of owned charcoal. But then also at Christmas they were very sequined, very sparkly. Yes, um, yes. My most prized possession as a 16 year old was a uh, striped grey and black jumper V-neck dress from oh, Warehouse. Can picture it. And I was and I was obsessed with being Brigitte Bardot in it because I was it was like kind of quite short, thick black tights and black boots. It was my first like look, I think. Aww. You know when you try desperately to be able to recreate the lovely, beautiful, vintagey girl image, yeah. and you're like, here's a way I can do it. I've like I've seen Factory Girl, I can do it now. <laughs> <laughs> and I wore it to death for about two years. Did it get really bobbly? So bobbly. Of course it did. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do about that. No. <laughs> Okay. Shave it with a Venus razor. Um, <laughs> monsoon. Monsoon. The funniest thing about monsoon is so funny to me. Mm. As in, like, literally, ha ha funny. It makes me laugh. <laughs> because the, the thing about it is that it had this weird cross section of audiences that was like um, divorced women. Yes, with a lot of scarves. With a lot of scarves, but also teenagers who believed in magic. Yes! <laughs> well, that's it. And it was. During that, and I think you've talked about this before, but that that period in the early noughties where we all had to be very into like Indian textiles. Yes. But maybe the for Moulin people. Rouge episode, yes. Right, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but for people who would probably never go to India. Yeah. You know, and lots of the velvet devore thing. Like it was very textural monsoon. I feel like yes. I can, I, you know, I'm rubbing my fingers together because I feel like I can touch Purples, monsoon. Purples, turquoises, and sometimes random accessories like a gilded birdcage just yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was bohemian in a very sanitised, wiped clean kind of sense, wasn't it? My best friend worked in Accessorise, which meant that yes. she got the holy grail of discounts. She got 75% <gasps> off Accessorise and Monsoon. Um, 
And so there were a few years where every present was always a kind of, you know, what back then would have been called an ethnic scarf in <laughs> the most problematic way possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of tassels, lots of or like, yeah, happy jewelry. A skirt with little mirrored sequins little on mirrored. them. I had, um, I bought a, a sarong for a monsoon that I put over one of my parents' very 90s mahogany, like, um, nests of tables mm-hmm. and then put my uh, my TV VCR player, which was my prized possession oh, when I was 14. lovely. On that. And a then, tastemaker. Yeah. And then I wound my, my purple feather boa um, around my kind of shelving unit behind it. And that was my little, that was what, what I would Welcome to the boudoir. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, what about Oasis. Now, Oasis. Trickier, this one. <laughs> I, I think I have quite snobby feelings about Oasis. Go on. I think Oasis was for squares. Oh, wow. Is okay. okay. Is that okay? I think it is. It was a bit. <laughs> it was a little bit knee-length dresses. And yeah. Boot, boot cut jeans. It was. A, mm, I don't know. But I tell you what, we didn't have an Oasis in Worthing. We only had one in Brighton. I think by the time I was shopping in Brighton, I thought Your I was a bit too cool. Advanced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I because there was an Oasis in Cork, I found it quite sophisticated. And it was okay. almost like Topshop before we had a Topshop kind Ooh, of thing. Right. Like a little bit pricier, a little bit more grown up. A little bit like, uh, like most things were quite boring and basic, but like there'd be the odd, unusual butterfly thing. Oh, they loved butterflies. <laughs> they loved butterflies. They loved butterflies, yes. They loved it. Okay, did you have a moment when your town got an Ann Summers? No! Oh my god. Caroline. Well, I'm from a world city. So, <laughs> so we yeah, we got an Ann Summers and it was like it was a real moment. Like Did you um all like get into the little over eighteen section? Was that a thing? Yes, that was a thing. That was definitely a thing. Like daring your friend to sort of set foot over the line as though maybe alarms would go off and dogs would yeah. run out or something. Yes, precisely. And you'd be kind of lingering in the kind of the, the lingerie section with the, the whips and the paddles and the like tiny little books on 101 ways to bring a kink to your marriage. Um, and then like... Yeah, Ray Davies. <laughs> then like yeah, edging into the dildo section where all the dildos were being sold a bit like mobile phones. They were like in like little settings with like, oh, here's like, oh, you know, four hour battery life. Dildos for you. <laughs> but the real thing about Anne Summers, at least the one I had, was... um. In the um, in the shop foyer, they had like one of those old carnival type games where you put your finger on it, and it, you know, how great a lover are you, kind of thing. Oh, amazing. And like, obviously, everyone was obsessed with this, um, but it also meant standing in the foyer where, where you could be seen by passersby, by like your uncle Nigel. Yeah, yeah. But you desperately needed to do the thing. Of course, you did. <laughs> but like, so you would just run in, run out really quickly. <laughs> So obviously your pulse would have been racing from anxiety. Yes. You were probably a fantastic lover on the Anne Summers spectrum every a time. A self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I felt confident <laughs> about it. Um, okay, what other women were there on the high street? The kind of... Um, I mean, so... The branded women. We had, so MK1 and Select were next to each other in the precinct. In okay, I don't know what those are. Okay, so they were both the kind of much cheaper... In the days before, like we didn't have Primark or anything mm-hmm. like that, but they, I bought my um, my middle school prom dress from mm-hmm. Select, which was. Do you remember that time when everything had to be a two tone purple blue fabric, mm-hmm. like a very shimmery, mm-hmm. very synthetic, almost crunchy kind of textured fabric? <gasps> crunchy, yes. And you crunch. would get boot, yeah, right. So boot cut trousers made from it, kind of suit jackets made from it, and I had this dress, and it had 
I had a slit, it had a little bow, had a kind of adjustable bra straps kind of on the dress. And it was made from that very specific purple two-tone. And it was, I think, highly unsuitable for a 12-year-old girl. But thanks, Mum. She she was thanks, <laughs> probably Mrs. laxer Bravo. than she should have been. Um, so Selector Mark 1, they also did a lot of sleeveless cowl neck jumpers. Do you remember that era? Oh, I do. Yeah. I still like that. that look. I do. I'd wear it now. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, lots of, yeah, lots of kind of baby pink and cream knitwear, the kind mm. of off the shoulder jumpers to be worn with your big coin belts. They, they were kind of that. And I, all I remember was Mark 1. So Mark MK1 was short for Mark 1. And they had their own radio station, which was mm. voiced by Margarita Taylor, who had been quite big on like T4 and things like that. And you would go in and she'd be like, it's Margarita Taylor listening to Mark 1 Radio. And I always thought, so weird. Oh, Margarita. In terms of like, oh God, I know we're going on, but I just love this topic too much. (laughs) Um, In terms of women who impacted the high street, I think Kate Moss designing for Topshop, a big one, obviously. I think the other one is Sienna Miller. Oh, 100%. Revolutionised, changed, forever changed. I thought I had invented boho. And you did. For a short while. Um, because at my school you had your two you had your two crews you were either a townie mm. or a grunger, mm-hmm. um, and I decided to be to be neither. Oh. I was going to be an individual, um, so I made all my friends do it with me, obviously, and we decided to be boho. And I think I'd must have absorbed the term without realizing that I was getting it from Sienna Miller. Yeah, but we so our kind of the way we um, expressed this was wearing like corduroy Baker Boy caps mm. with a little plait in our hair, oh, and then off the shoulder peasant blouses. Yeah. Yes. With, with punky fish cords, that was yes, yeah, that was it, it. and it was a slight sort of um, Kate Hudson and almost famous kind yeah. of vibe, but without having seen almost without, famous oh, at that point. Of course not, no idea. But you've seen the poster, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like Sienna did something to our brain chemistry. I think it was like a like a comet through our lives. Oh Do you God. know what I mean? So I found myself two days before my wedding. Yeah. Googling Sienna Miller Alfie hair, which is something I do about once every three months oh, yeah. anyway. Same. Um and actively kind of weeping over the fact that I could get I could do exactly what her hair had had done to it, mm-hmm. but would still never look like her Sienna in that Miller movie. And Alfie. I yeah. love her in that film. It's a bad movie, but she is so good bad in it. Bad movie, but she's just a shining light. Yeah. But like the thing about her and it was really her tabloid picture is that became these style icons the coin belts the muckluck boots like furry gilets mm-hmm. the sort of like Fleetwood Mackie kind of vibe yeah um it was this I mean I've talked a lot on this podcast about how like millennial naughties culture was so furiously anti-sex while also being insistently sexual oh yeah the idea that she could be the style icon and this it girl and like the way she dressed wasn't very sexual. It was kind of eclectic no. and funny and strange. And lots of very long kind of hippie skirts that yeah. actually your mum would kind of wear. You know, yeah. it was, yeah. But then did she, was she sort of partially responsible for ushering in that period of our adolescence where we did dress like middle-aged women and that was... She was, I think. I think she's a thing. big part of it. The, yeah. yeah. And also her style was so much about assemblage. Do you know what I mean? It was about like finding bits from charity shops and putting yeah. it together. Yeah, it was layering. She was the first. She was layering. That yeah, yeah. In a way that we don't like. Like I've got a lot of time for the Kardashians. Do you know what I mean? They've done a lot, but I just think style-wise, 
it's just like it's a it's a figure hugging thing with a cutout in the tit, right? right? Yeah. It's like this, just wearing all no this, references, all this junk on top of yeah, referencing yeah. like you know a seventies coat and a sixties you know boot or whatever. Like it was but this special. Is, it was, and this is what makes me hopeful for the youth of today. Yes, <laughs> there's a sentence. The youth um, of today is that for a while it really felt like they weren't doing subcultures anymore. Like yeah. it, it all felt very glossy, very mainstream, very you know you just bought whatever the Kardashians were wearing. But now, thanks to TikTok, I think in part, oh. subcultures are massive again, which is they are a contradiction in terms. But let's roll with it. <laughs> it so, is. I wrote an article last week about dark academia. <gasps> I was just about to bring up dark I academia. I knew you would love dark academia and its counterpart, like light academia, which, as far as I can tell, is the same but in beige. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I interviewed a sixteen-year-old all about it. <gasps> I have to read this. And I, you know, I spent, I fell into a wormhole on Depop. Explain, explain for, to our listeners what right. dark academia is first. So dark academia, as far as I can tell, it's a beautiful mashup of references from across the whole of the twentieth century, but it's sort of it goes from like. Um, private schools in the 90s in America mm-hmm. so lots of like mini kilts and blazers it's looking elite education which mm-hmm. is kind of gross but that's one of the so big references it's a remix on preppy culture right remix on preppy culture so it's it's a bit of Gilmore Girls it's mm-hmm. a bit of Gossip Girl a little bit of Clueless but in a more kind of sombre way mm-hmm. And then it's also taking reference from things like The Secret History. Massive, massive influence on dark academia. Um, That sort of Cruel Intentions vibe of being like a bit, a little bit dark, a bit twisted. Goth and rich. Goth and rich. Goes all the way back to like the 30s and 40s because there's lots of like sweater vests, quite a lot of beatnik involved as well. So berets, black roll necks. I love it as a subculture. And also the playlists on YouTube are amazing I bet they are <laughs> they're really really great and what's so funny about it as well is having just listened to that once I listened to half of that podcast Once Upon a Time in Bennington the secret history one have you yes. heard about this no I've seen you uh, posting about it I listened I, I, I literally stopped listening for moral reasons but that's <laughs> that's a different topic sure. entirely basically I think that the podcaster massively overstepped and, and committed a crime essentially by <laughs> By invading on uh, Don Tart's personal life. Podcasts have got too powerful. Too powerful. Mm. And I'm wielding it responsibly. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it talks about how this gang that Donna Tart was hanging around with at Bennington, they were all dressing because of the TV adaptation of Brideshead Revisited. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Yeah, they were all yes. dressing that way. Because when I was writing this article, I was trying to pin down which decades Dark Academia references. And I was like, it's almost all of them. It's basically the 80s is about the only one that they don't have a kind yeah. of foothold in. But it's everything. It's kind of, it's, yeah. And it goes right back to the 20s and 30s. And it is, it's that kind of yeah, idealised... It's like evil in war, you know? It's evil in war. It's Oxbridge. It's the Dreaming Spires. It's yeah. wearing your kind of ox, your tweed Oxford bags and carrying a teddy bear to be quirky. But it's wonderful because, you know, it, they're kind of picking and choosing all of these little references. I mean, the 16-year-old I was talking to about it said that um, coffee is a massive part of dark academia. Yes. And you have to be caffeine fueled. And I like to think that that's a bit of a backlash against wellness culture. I agree. It's no yeah. longer a green juice and a vape. It's actually caffeine and, I mean, probably cigarettes, which, you know, we shouldn't endorse. But like... Still, part of being a teen, that's part so eternal. That makes me so happy to hear. Yes. And I was the same. I used to drink kind of six blacks of uh, six cups of black coffee yeah. a day when I was at sixth form, constantly having a panic attack. Because I thought it and made a me sighing cool. aloud that like, you need your coffee and you need your caffeine. I need my caffeine. I'm just don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. I thought it made me Nico. Oh, 
Yeah. And it did. Thanks, Caroline. And the thing about dark academia as well is like it's one of these subcultures that's about assemblage, right? It's like yes. finding things in charity shop and picking with something from Top Shop. Although that's you can't it. go to Top Shop anymore, but it's, you know what I mean? It's building your own identity yeah. from this complete collage, this hodgepodge of references from, you know, across a whole century. And it just warms my heart to know that kids are still doing that. So maybe they yeah. don't need the high street anymore, you know? I'd like if they went though. <laughs> but the high street needs to lure them back, you it's know. True. So I think your idea about it being lots of individual retailers with their little stands. Yeah. It could and happen. Those retailers, some of them will do really well and they'll get bigger and they'll open more stores and then they'll, you know, put the business in their wife's name and offshore it to Monaco and then the whole cycle will repeat itself. Beautiful. Thank you. Lauren, Christmas story. This is the most fun I've had in years. Um <laughs> Um, do, you, do you want to hit Oxford Street after this? Yeah, kind of. Um, um, uh, you're the author of How to Break Up with Fast Fashion. I am. Which is one of my favourite non-fiction books of all time. Bless you. Genuinely. I really mean that. Um, and you're also a forthcoming novel. I am. It's very forthcoming, as in it's not coming out till spring. <laughs> it's spring, not coming at all. Spring 2023. But put a date in your diary. Oh, I have a book coming around then as well, so we should, oh. uh, we should talk. <laughs> have a meltdown together. That would be nice. Okay, thanks, Lauren. Thank you. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me about the podcast at sentimentalpod at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thank you to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the artwork, and Hannah Varrow for the mixing. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.